turn with me back to uh, John's Gospel, uh, John chapter uh, 13. We read here of Jesus uh, washing uh, the disciples' feet, the, the greatest person, greatest person in the world, in the universe, just taking upon himself the, the role of the servant, the role of a servant. And then he says to them, I've given you an example. He says, I've given you an example of what you should do. And what I have just done to, to you is that servant, then because a servant is not greater than his master, then therefore you should also go and follow my example. Follow me, he's saying. Do what I do. A servant is not greater uh, than his master. And yet then we come uh, to, towards the, the, the end uh, of the, the text that we read. And at the end there, uh, Jesus tells his followers something completely different. Not you should follow me and do as I am going to do. He says, well, you can't follow me. You can't follow me now. You can't follow me now. Where I'm going, you cannot follow now. What I'm about to do, you, you cannot do with me now. And so we have this not conundrum. But we're thinking, well, what is going on here? What is Jesus telling us here when he's saying, well, take upon yourself the role of a servant, follow my example, do what you see me doing. And yet he's saying, and especially when Peter is crying out, no, I will follow you, says Peter. I will even die for thy sake. And Jesus says, no, you cannot come with me this night to do what I must do. But before we get to that situation, we have that interesting portion of scripture, don't we, where uh, we, we, he says, uh, we, we read in verse, uh, uh, when it's regarding, uh, when, he, when he realizes he's about to be betrayed, he knows he's going to be betrayed, and we, we read that his, his, his spirit was troubled in verse 21. When, when Jesus had thus said, but one is going to, lift up their, their heel against me. We read that he was troubled in spirit. And yet we know, don't we, that Jesus has told us not to have troubled hearts. Because we read that, if we continued reading, let's just read it now into uh, chapter 14 of John's Gospel, where Jesus says immediately after what we just read here in chapter 13, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And we ask that question again. Well, what's going on here? Jesus' spirit was troubled, and yet he's now commanding his followers for their hearts not to be troubled. And so we ask that question, well, well, what is going on? In spite of all Christ's knowledge, what he knew was going to happen, the glory that was going to come upon him, he was troubled in spirit. Jesus was troubled in spirit. 
When we look to ourselves, we know why Jesus tells us, he tells his followers here, not to let your heart be troubled, because he knows that our hearts are troubled. And we know immediately, don't we, why our hearts are troubled in this context. Because immediately he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, believe in me. Trust in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so therefore he's saying the reason why your hearts are troubled is because you do not believe. Your faith is not great. You are doubting the love of God the Father for you. You are doubting that God is with you. You're lacking in this faith, you're lacking in this belief, you're lacking in this understanding, and therefore out of this sinful nature of our hearts, our hearts are troubled, are agitated. And yet we know, don't we, that Jesus was not troubled in spirit because of any sin in his life. He was not troubled in, in spirit because he was unbelieving. He was not troubled in spirit because he was doubting what was going to happen in the next few hours or days. He knew what was going to happen. He trusted his father. He believed in his father. Jesus, who was without sin, the Holy One. So therefore, there must be uh, something else going on here. For we know, don't we, as we, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, we, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, being tested in every way as we are, and yet he is without sin. That is Jesus Christ. He is without sin. But Jesus tells us, do not let your hearts be troubled. So Jesus is experiencing something like we experience, but without the sin. And so we ask, well, what is going on here with Jesus? What difference is there between this, this sinful troubling of our hearts through lack of belief and what is happening with Jesus here in this time when you would think, well, yes, his, his heart would be troubled. He's about to go to the cross. In a few hours' time, he's going to be sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to go to the cross and suffer that physical pain. He's going to have that uh, spiritual anguish. The sin, the sin that is chosen would, would come upon him. And yet that was not what was filling him with this spirit uh, troubled. There was, there was troubled. What it was was to do with I'm sure sometimes you will go through as well where you are praying for a loved one, a family member, a friend, a work colleague, an acquaintance. And sometimes you have that heavy burden for them where you realize if they continue going the way that they are continuing, then they are going to hell. They will be lost to damnation. And Jesus here, in the context of this, is looking to Judas. Judas, who is, he knows is going to betray him. He's just said, Judas, well, one of you is going to betray me. And then he says who's going to betray him. And Jesus here, out of the love that he has for Judas, the one that he's walked with for these last three years, the one that he's talked with, ate with, had all those 
uh, perform those miracles in front of. This love for one who is going to go out into the darkness of this night and be lost to Satan. And the pain and the anguish and this troubled spirit that Jesus has. And so in a way, as Jesus was troubled in spirit here, then you also, when you are troubled in spirit over the anguish of, a, of, of one that you're praying for, who you are thinking, well, if they continue like this, then they are going to be lost. And remember Jesus, as he was anguished and his heart was troubled, his spirit was troubled, and yet he was able, therefore, to, to, to carry on. It wasn't as if he was troubled to the extent where he just said, oh, okay, that's it. I'm, going to go after, I'm going to go after Judas. I'm going to go to my friend and see if I can turn him around. Or, or I'm just going to delay the cross for a few days. I'm going to see what I can do before it's too late. Jesus, remember, in the same way that we are called also, is not to let that burden become so heavy that it makes us uh, unable to carry on the task that is set before you. To keep on keeping on, to keep on keeping on praying for one that you know is to keep on going is going to be lost. And we're called to pray, we're called to love, we're called to continue, just as Jesus continued here. <coughs> not to let this troubled spirit overwhelm you as you, you love those who are your enemy. And so this is why we see here that Jesus was troubled in spirit, not because of any sin in his heart, because of the love that he had for one who is soon to be lost. And so therefore also for us, well, we, we pray, we have that hope, we do not uh, give up praying, but even though we are going through that spiritual turmoil, we have that hope, we have that faith, we have that trust that, that God is in control. And we keep on keeping on in the walk that is uh, before us. And then we move on and again, uh, just was looking at this morning, uh, um, with all these interesting little bits that we think could be left out, uh, where we learned that uh, Ehud was uh, left-handed. And we found out why that was, and why, why was that written. And again, when we look to, to John's Gospel and the other Gospels and the other writings in, in the Scriptures, we, we think, well, why did they put those bits in? And so therefore, then, we, we come, don't we, to that uh, portion of Scripture where uh, the details just seem to overwhelm us but just seem to think well why why is john writing this and so we see therefore what what is being written and what's been explained to us here is that they are uh, they're they're at the supper the feast and uh, they are uh, reclined and remember they, they don't have chairs and tables as we do uh, the table would have been low on the ground they would have been lying on cushions probably because they're right-handed, leaning on their left hand, and then eating with their right hand. And so intimate was the detail that we learn here from, from John, uh, that in verse 23, thou there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. We wonder, well, why, 
why is that? Why has John written this? And we know it's, the, it is, it's, it's John who is who's writing this because we uh, realize that from uh, later on uh, in, in the chapters that are coming when John says, well, this is why I'm, I, I'm writing what I'm writing. And we, we have these moments of intimacy. And so here we have uh, John leaning on Jesus' bosom. And then we're told about Simon Peter. We don't know where Simon Peter is at the table. But he gets John's attention. He goes, John, John, ask him, who is it that's going to betray him? And so John asks Jesus, who's lying on Jesus' breast, verse 25. He says, well, Lord, who is it? And we, we understand here that the other men around the table didn't hear what had happened or maybe were in their own conversations. Because shortly... John tells us that they didn't know, or the other men didn't know why Judas had left. And we think, well, why are we having these details shown to us? And what it's saying is that John is that eyewitness to these intimate details that really only someone who was there would actually know. We know that John, the disciple that Jesus loved, as he's known as, wrote this book. And we know that because of what John writes later on. And so if we uh, turn just uh, quickly to, towards the end, John chapter 21 and verse 24, he says, well, John says, well, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So we need to remember, well, why is this written? So as the children ask sometimes, well, why, why are we given those bits of detail? Why are we given those bits of information? And John tells us, he wrote these things that we know that his testimony is true. Just a few chapters earlier in chapter 19, we, we read, don't we, about uh, uh, John just bearing uh, uh, witness to what was going on. John chapter 19, verse 35, and he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true. Why? So that ye may believe. John wants you to believe in what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of sinners who repent and confess and turn back to him. John wants to make it clear that he was up close and personal to Jesus, and therefore he knows these things, and therefore what he writes is true. I was there, he says, I've written these things that you may believe. And so therefore, when we, as we were looking this morning, we think, oh, why, do we, why are we told that he's left-handed? So that we may believe. It's not made up. These accounts are true. And not just history, as we were looking at this morning, but the Spirit of God contained in the word of God, that we may believe, that you may believe that what is written is true. 
And so therefore, as we, we see these portions of Scripture here, these intimate details, so that you may believe, that you may believe. And so then we uh, move on in the, the verses to verse 27. Uh, Jesus has just intimated to John uh, to say that, well, I'm going to uh, uh, give a sop, and when I've dipped it, and I'm going to uh, give it to the one who is going to betray me. And we read, don't we, that after this piece of bread, this morsel of bread was put into the, the cup, Satan entered into him. And then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. Now, no man at the table, as we know, knew for what intent he spake for this unto him. He thought he's just gone out to pay for the food, or he's gone to give some money to the poor. But then we read in verse 30, he then, having received the sop, went immediately out. And then we have those words. Again, we're thinking, well, why is John writing about what time of the day it was? But we read, and it was night. And it was night. John's not telling us about the weather or what time of day it was. Not merely that anyway. If you go right back to the beginning of John's Gospel, to the prologue, John's prologue in John chapter 1, and we see how John uh, looks at uh, light and darkness. And these words that are said in, in John 1 chapter 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness is not able to overcome the light. The darkness is not able to vanquish the light. The darkness cannot overcome the light. And then to explain it even more, we, we can move to John uh, chapter 9, verse 4. John chapter 9, verse 4, where we see and start to uh, understand what is happening this night. But Jesus had told them, I was just, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work the night cometh and it was night we read and this is the time now on this night that the night has cometh not that it's getting dark not as late in the day it can become evening into night time this battle between darkness and, and light between christ and satan They'd worked with Jesus for these last three years while it was day, as it were. But now Jesus has completed that work and now the time has come for night to reign. And as Jesus says, no one but Jesus, no one but himself can do this work. He says in John chapter 9 verse 4, when no man can work. The Lord Jesus is no man. He is God and he is man. Truly God, truly man. No one but Jesus can do this work. And 
he does this regardless of the darkness. He, he, he does it even with the God-anointed help of the darkness. The darkness actually unwittingly helping here. For only Jesus is the one who can destroy the work of darkness by really being overwhelmed by it, by, by being enveloped in it, by entering into it. For Jesus to be, as we say, swallowed up by death. And we are reminded, aren't we, of Jonah in the belly of the fish for, for three days, three nights, until you spat out. And again, that's that uh, uh, true account of what happened to, to Jonah and, and just showing us Christ going into the darkness of death, being overwhelmed by it, overcome by it, but actually then destroying darkness and coming back in glorious light. For Jesus is the one who will crush Satan's head. And his minions will be uh, uh, overwhelmed. We go back to really uh, emphasize this into Luke's gospel. We, we read uh, uh, the words of, uh, of Jesus in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 22, we're in the garden of Gethsemane and the, uh, the temple guards and uh, the soldiers have, have come for Jesus. And uh, we read in verse 53 of Luke 22. He says, When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness. And we see here how the light and the darkness here are in that battle. But we realize that even here that God is in control. And a limit is placed on this hour of darkness because it is just an hour. It's not a millennia. It's not 100 years. It's not 10 years. It's not even a year or a month. It's just that hour. Okay, Satan, you can have this time, but, but, I'm going to go down into hell and I'm going to free the captives, those who are in bondage. And on the third day, I'm going to raise from the dead. The power of sin and the power of death will be vanquished and overcome. I'm going to break the chains of death. The darkness will be obliterated by the light. Satan will be overwhelmed. Head will be crushed. And that saving, redeeming, delivering work of Christ Jesus will be accomplished. Sin of the elect will be taken away. There will be no more judgment, no more condemnation for the church of Christ. And she will be clothed in the righteousness of my glory. Bride, beautiful bride, fit for the bridegroom. 
So as we read this, and it was night, there we see what is, is going on. There's more going on. And we, we see this, don't we, as we read on, because then we read the next few verses of what Jesus says, and we think, well, how can this be? Because he says, therefore, when he was gone out, Judas has just left to betray Jesus. The darkest moment in the life and work of Jesus. To be, to be betrayed by a friend. We read, therefore, therefore, because of that, when he was gone out, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. And we wonder, how can this be that this greatest moment of darkness where a friend has just gone to betray Jesus, that this is that moment when the Son of God is the most glorious, glorified? Now is the Son of man glorified and God is glorified in him and we see here that in this moment of greatest darkness that the, the, the light of Christ's glory is shining forth it is most brightest in this darkest hour and the moments that are to come of of the arrest and the, the, the mockery and, and, and the, uh, the beatings and, and the crucifixion. And this is Jesus' most glorious moment where the Son of Man is glorified. In the darkest moments of betrayal and arrest and beatings and mockery and crucifixion is the brightest most glorious moment of the gospel and so we need to realize that there is more going on here we just read it sometimes quickly and we do not understand what is happening here what God is doing here And so then we come, don't we, to the final part that I want to, to talk about this evening, where at the beginning of the chapter we, we, we read of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then saying to them, well, follow what I'm doing. You've seen what I do? Well, well follow me in it. Do as I have done to you. And yet here at the end, the disciples know that Jesus is going to go somewhere and do something. And that's what Simon Peter asks, isn't it? Verse 36, he said, well, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus says, well, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. Thou canst not follow me now. We know that the disciples weren't able to follow Jesus where he was going. The first one is what Jesus immediately tells them, doesn't he? When Peter says, no, I will follow thee. I will even lay down my life for thy sake. And 
Jesus says, well, before the cock crows once, you have denied me three times. You have fled. You have abandoned me, just as the other disciples and apostles are going to flee and abandon me, and I will be on my own. You haven't got the, the strength. You haven't got the, uh, the moral aptitude to, 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 to be able to go where I'm going, to be able to do what I'm about to do. You're just going to run when opposition comes. Even a servant girl will make it be that you will deny me. You cannot follow me where I'm going because you just haven't got that spiritual, physical fortitude to be able to do it. The real reason, the good news for us, why they couldn't follow, is that we know that only Christ could go where he was going. We sort of alluded to that in uh, Judges chapter 3, with Ehud going on before his army. We read about that this morning into uh, the uh, into Satan's uh, territory, as it were, and, and Ehud going there and, and killing that, that Babylonian king, the one we read about in, in Revelation, in other words. And here Christ goes before his church. Jesus says, you, you cannot go where I'm about to go. You will follow me. You will follow me. We read that a bit further on, don't we, when... Um, and the disciples ask, well, where are you, where are you going? And we read that in, uh, he says, well, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he says in verse 2 of chapter 14 of John's Gospel. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way you know. And Thomas says, well, Jesus, we, 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 Lord, we, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And we have those words of Jesus. That Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We don't go to heaven beside Jesus, walking alongside Assisting him, in other words. We cannot do that. We cannot even fall on behind imitating him. We go to the Father through Jesus, depending on him. That's why he says, tonight, where I am going, you cannot follow. You cannot follow. Only I, as the Son of God, can do this. Only I can die for you in this way, to become the way to God the Father. You can't follow now. Only I can be the one that can do this for you. This is the hour of darkness when man cannot work, but God is able to work. But afterwards, I will come and take you to myself. You will follow afterwards because I have made a way for you. Your sins will be paid for. Condemnation will be taken away. The shame will be removed. Trust me. Believe in me. That's what tonight is about. 
darkness, what this night is about, when the, the hour of darkness will come and, and Jesus will go to the cross. That he may make a way for sinners such as us, such as you, to be able to come to the Father. And Christ Jesus says, well, only I can do this. Only I can make the way. You can't follow me now. We have that good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel making the way to the Father. That good news is given to you this night. You trust in him, believe in him. Let your hearts be troubled, believe in him, for he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we come uh, this night to thee, and we've just heard these words of Jesus saying that only he could do what he was about to do, to uh, be betrayed and mocked and beaten and scorned and uh, crucified. Not that then we could be hung on a cross in the same way, but as the Son of God, the one who was without sin, becoming sin for his people, making the way to the Father that the power of sin and death would be taken away. And so therefore, Lord God, we pray this night that for any who have not... uh, Put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior may be welcomed in with Christ's open arms to trust and believe in him as their Lord and Savior, in him making the way back to the Father. Lord God, we pray that that would be so this night. And Lord God, we pray for those of us who have put our faith and trust in thee. And we pray that we would Uh, remember that the good news of Jesus Christ is not just for um, non-believers, not just for new Christians, but for all uh, Christians, uh, that they may believe in the one who has uh, crushed Satan's head and now calls us to follow him into the battle as the the power of the evil one is fought against in these skirmishes that now need to take place until thou returns once more in thy glory, thy second coming. And so, Lord God, we pray that thy will be done this night on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Conclude our Lord's Day services with the last few verses from verse 17 to 19 of Psalm 72. Psalm 72, verses 17, 18, and 19 of Psalm 72. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him and blessed. All nations shall him call. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel, for he alone doth wondrous works in glory that excel, and blessed be his glorious name to all eternity.
the whole earth, let his glory fill. Amen. So let it be. Psalm 72, from verse 17 to the end, his name forever shall endure. His Heavenly Father, as we uh, go through to the manse uh, for this time of uh, missionary fellowship, we pray that thou would be with thy servant as he uh, speaks to us. We pray that thou would uh, give him uh, the words to speak that would encourage not only us, but also himself and his people. And Lord God, we uh, pray that as we uh, eat and drink of the refreshments that have been provided by thee, uh, we pray that thou would bless us in, in that regard. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, with you all now and forevermore. Amen.